Well, good morning. Hopefully you're excited. Only one week away from Christmas, two weeks away from a new year, believe it or not. Uh, we're in a series called The Gift, and today's topic is Jesus as King. Now, we talk about love a lot, and if you were, I was to ask you how would you exemplify love, there would be different responses, different answers. Well, God loves us more than anybody, possible, but His love is a little unusual. And that's what, kind of what this series is about, how Jesus is, God's love for us is sending a baby to earth to grow up and then eventually suffer and die for us. That's God's demonstration of love to us. And we've been looking at the wise men as they brought gifts to the toddler Jesus, not the newborn Jesus. And I got to thinking, we haven't read the text, the whole text of the story of the wise men, so I thought we'd start with that uh, this morning. So this is in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now Herod was a, uh, had a long um, span as king. Uh, we consider him very evil because eventually he's going to kill all the ch- babies in in Bethlehem, but the people, most of the people liked him because he was a builder. He built uh, things, he built a, uh, a town, a seaport. Most importantly, he rebuilt or refurbished the, the uh, temple. So he was popular for that reason. About the same time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. So we don't know who these guys were, don't know how many there were, uh, they were considered wise. They were probably wealthy. They traveled a long distance. That would cost uh, time and money. So they get to Jerusalem and they say, where is the newborn king of the Jews? So somehow they're aware of the fact that there was a king of the Jews born. We're going to find out that God revealed it to them. <clears throat> uh, but this was, we don't know about these guys. Some commentators think they might have been Jews descend, uh, descended from the when the uh, Jews were carried off into Babylon. So they might have a Jewish understanding, a heritage, Jewish scriptures. They may not have been. They might have been uh, non-Jewish folks that just had this uh, insight. They saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So they were aware of this new king, uh, uh, significance enough for them to make this trip And they came seeking, seeking to worship. Seeking is always a good thing. Scripture tells us, seek and you will find. You don't seek, you certainly can't find, right? So they came seeking, and they, as we're going to find out, they they found the baby Jesus. Now, King Herod, he was deeply disturbed, understatement, (laughs) when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, if you're a king and somebody says there's a new king in town, that means you're, you're going out, right? And nobody wants to give up that power and, and uh, responsibility. The interesting thing is everyone was disturbed by this. Um, again, if you're king, you've got a king, Carrot, and you're, he's a pretty popular guy, and then somebody's going to come along and usurp him, that's disturbing, right? But I find it interesting that even in our culture today, in most places probably in the world, some places even worse than here, you can talk about almost anything, right? Uh, meet somebody, uh, people at work, whatever it might be. You can discuss almost anything, but if you bring up the name of Jesus, the temperature of the conversation changes, right? 
There's people that may jump in. There's people that are going to step away, right? Jesus himself is disturbing. Anyway, he, uh, Herod calls a meeting of the leader and priests and teachers of religious law and asks him, okay, where is the Messiah, another name for the king, where is the Messiah, the promised anointed king, supposed to be born? The scripture tell us. We're going to find that it does. Um, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, and this is a quote from the little book of Micah in the Old Testament. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And we talked about Jesus being a shepherd uh, in another part of this series. So, what's Herod do? He has a meeting with these guys. He called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Okay, so did, was Jesus born now that you've gotten here? The implication is he was born when the star appeared. He wanted to know how long. Evidently, it was close to two years. Uh, we're not going to cover the next passage, but it talks about him killing all the babies, male babies below two years of age. So, when it appeared, and they told him, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child. The, the priest had just told him it's in Bethlehem. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. Bold-faced lie, right? He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to destroy him. After this interview, the wise men went their way, looking for Jesus, still seeking. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Now, most of you know we've been there <laughs> a few years ago. And when you're in Jerusalem, it's only five miles to Bethlehem, but it's no longer east of Jerusalem. It's probably almost west. It's on a raise. It's above Jerusalem. Jerusalem's already raised. Bethlehem's even higher. Uh, what do you call it? Al not altitude. Anyway, um, he went away. He went ahead. It went, excuse me. It went ahead of them. Stopped over the place where the child was. That's kind of confusing. We talked about this in our small group. I don't know how it worked, but somehow this star directed them to a house. So that's a pretty special star, right? Again, it was a house. Uh, and they were filled with joy. It tells us the next verse. It was, so they found it. You're, looking, you're seeking for something and you're joyful when you find it, right? Whether it's your lost keys or whatever it might be. They entered the house. Again, this is probably a year and a half later. And saw the child with his mother Mary. Joseph's not mentioned. He may be out working or something. We don't know. He bowed down and worshipped him. That's what they're seeking to do. They found him and, of course, they followed through with their worship. Part of worship, even for us, we have offering. Part of their worship was to offer treasures. So the treasures they gave were gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So worship involved giving. Giving of ourselves. Giving of stuff of value to of ourselves. Um, and one more verse? No. Yeah, one more verse. When it was time to leave. Now, I never thought about this before, but evidently they hung around for a while. Now, if you traveled all that ways to meet or find what you were seeking, would you just be there for an hour and then leave and go back? Spend months of traveling to get there and months traveling to get back and just stay for an hour? So evidently they hung out with Jesus for him. 
and marry for a while. It's the implication. But eventually it came time to leave, so they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. That would have been uh, trouble, right? And so God honored their worship by revealing to them uh, something to keep them safe. So we're talking about these three gifts. Uh, Today's topic is the gold. Gold is a precious thing back then as it is now, and it was offered as something that would be offered to a king. Uh, We talked about frankincense, symbolizing the fact that Jesus was our high priest. The high priest intercedes uh, for the people with God, and Jesus does that for us. The high priest also offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus did that, but he took another step in doing that. And that's what we talked about last week. Myrrh represents a lamb of God. He didn't offer a sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. And then we see on the cross, there is a title put on the cross. Who knows what was on the title on the cross? What did it say? King of the Jews. Now, the Jews didn't want it on there. Pilate put it on there, but Jews wanted to say, he claims or he says I'm... He's king of the Jews. Ironically, it was true. He was king of the Jews. Now, we're going to play a game this morning. Everybody ready for a game? Have some fun? All right, good. All right, now, I'm going to put some pictures up, and I want you to identify them. I, want you, I don't want you to, to yell out first. I want you to keep track. I think there's eight of them. See if you can get all eight, all right? I'll find out how many at the end, all right? Now, a couple of them are giveaways. I found out later as I look very closely, all right? So... We use the word talking about kings. So here we go. First picture. All right. How many of you know who that is? Keep it in your track. All right. I knew the first one. I guess we can say out loud. Who is that? King Charles the what? Third. Excellent. Good history uh, student. All right. So that's King Charles the third. If you got that one, keep track of it if you didn't. Now we'll give you some easy ones. How about this one? Uh, don't yell out. I ask. All right. So, yeah, it's King Kong. Probably most people knew who that was, but keep track. If you knew that one, you got too good. All right. This one, especially if you've got kids or grandkids, you'll know this one. All right. You know who that is? All right. Somebody tell us who it is. Lion King. Now we're going to change change genres, all right, sports folks, all right, who is that, but he's what, King James, this is not a King James Bible, but people call him that, whether he is or not, people call him that, all right, this is a little more difficult if you don't look too closely, music people know this one, right, King of the Blues, right? B.B. King. All right. People that like uh, to read. Here's a hint for the next one. All right. Horror. Guys are answering too quickly. Got to get people to think. You can't help yourselves. I know. I know that one. I know that one. All right. I think we have two more maybe. All right. Depending on your age, you might not know this guy. Larry King. Talk, talk show guy. And one more. Now, don't yell out the answer. This one could be hard for some people. All right? Especially a younger generation, you might not know this person. All right? So, somebody tell us who it is. 
Billie Jean King. All right, I could have put more up here, but anyway, who knew them all? Put your hand up. One, come on, more than one of you. Two, three, only three of you, four of you, okay. My wife got this, and I said, oh, I didn't think she would get the sports ones. He said, I already told her ahead of time what they were. So that's how she knew them all. Anyway, all right. So we're going to talk about King Jesus, different than any other king. So Paul is writing to an understudy of his named Timothy, a young preacher, and uh, we call this 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy in Scripture. Anyway, at the end of this letter to Timothy... He writes this. He says, at just the right time, Christ, or the King, or the Messiah, will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God. He is the King of all kings, Lord of all lords, all honor and power to Him forever. Now, in the Greek, this is the most um, powerful way this could be stated. This Christ is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. All honor and power to him forever. Now, the problem was, 2,000 years ago, the Jews were expecting the Messiah. They've been expecting the Messiah for 1,000 years. None of us have been expecting anything that long, except for believers expecting Jesus for 2,000 years. Go back. We're not finished yet. Um, what did they expect? Well, they expected him probably to be born in the palace, right? A king's usually born in a palace. He's usually a prince before he's a king. He would have been born into wealth and luxury. Uh, they would have expected him to uh, take a place of authority. Ultimately, what they expected was this king to do what? Get rid of the Romans, right? That's what they expected. That's what they were looking for. Now, no one ever expected this King Jesus. No one ever expected him to be born in a stable to pretty much poor people and poor surroundings, right? Uh, no one expected him to be from Nazareth. Remember when Jesus called his disciples, Nathaniel said, when a guy came to him and said, hey, I found the Messiah in Nazareth. He said, nothing good can come from Nazareth. Nobody expected this king to come from Nazareth. No one expected him to call disciples, followers that were uneducated fishermen and an evil tax collector and, and put them together. No one expected him to hang out with sinners and prostitutes. They expected him to hang out with the religious leaders, right? Uh, the religious, they never expected him to be at odds with the religious leaders. If you're going to be king of the Jews, you've got to get along with the religious leaders. No one expected this king to turn over tables in the temple. No one expected this king to be arrested falsely. No one expected this king to be accused falsely in a trial and be uh, condemned. He, no one expected this king to be, to, to be beaten and whipped and insulted and spit on and crowned a thorn in his head and, and scourged and whipped and eventually carried off to Golgotha and nailed to a cross. Nobody expected Nobody expected him to be buried in a borrowed tomb. Rich man, but borrowed tomb. And of course, ultimately, no one expected this king 
much less to die, but then to be resurrected on the third day. So I came across this phrase, I really like it. A king like no other. No other king. So what was the response to this king in Jesus' day? And we could say even in our day today. So Herod, of course, did what? He opposed him. I'm the king. Nobody else can be king. I'm my own boss. I don't want any other boss. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. That would have been Herod's response. In fact, he carried it to this extreme where I'm going to kill this opposition of mine. But we see it today too, right? People are opposed to Jesus, um, either in general or specifically. Uh, you guys got all those rules. I don't have anybody tell me what to do. I'm not going to have some old book tell me what to do. I'm my own boss. I'll do what I want to do. People oppose Jesus today, don't they? What about the Jewish priests and religious leaders? Well, they just kind of dismissed Jesus. He wasn't what they expected, right? We just talked about it. They were expecting this kind of Messiah, and Jesus was a completely different kind of Messiah. So initially, they, they might have thought his teachings were interesting. Eventually, they became to the place where they opposed him. There's a lot of people that dismiss Jesus today, too. They're, they're not anti-religion, even anti-Christianity. And they might even claim to be a Christian, but they just kind of dismiss Jesus. I'll do, live my life the way I want to live my life. I'm good, just like I am. I don't know Jesus telling me what to do. But then we have the wise men, right? The wise men bowed down and worshipped Jesus as king. You and I need to get to the place for the wise men where we understand it's not about me. If I have a king of kings, it's all about him. If I have a lord of lord or boss of all boss, it's about him. It's not about me. So I honor him. I'm awe of him. I worship him. So I'm going to ask the question. I want you to all search your hearts and minds honestly. What is your present response to Jesus as king. Are you opposed to him? And even if you're a Jesus follower, sometimes you're opposed to him. I shared the story many times when I was 17, headed off to the University of Maryland as an engineering student, and God said, no, nah, uh, i got a different plan for you. <laughs> I want you to go into the ministry. And I said, no, thanks. <laughs> you got this wrong, God. Uh, that's not my skill set. That's out of my comfort zone. You ever notice how God sometimes wants you out of your comfort zone? Now, fortunately, I think for me, uh, I eventually succumbed, <laughs> agreed. Uh, I didn't oppose him too long. Um, and my life has been greatly blessed since, right? As yours is when you don't oppose Jesus. Now, dismissing. We dismiss them sometimes. You ever read, well, you and I have read something in here that we don't like because it wants me to do something I don't want to do. And I just kind of ignore it or pretend it doesn't, I didn't read it, right? We've all done some of those things. God tells you to go marry people. God tells you to go and apologize to your spouse. Say, I don't want to do that. Dismiss it, right? Do we really want to, let me use the word no, be an intimate relationship with Jesus. I have an inter 
intimate relationship with my wife. And a funny thing happened this week three times. And those of you who have been married a long time, it probably happens to you too. She'll say something or I said something. I can't remember all the three times. And I'll say, I was thinking the exact same thing. Exact same time. Happened three times this week. How does that happen? Because we have an intimacy. So do you desire or do you have that intimacy with the Almighty? Where it's not about me. So how do you show reverence? You might even use the word respect. How do you show that Jesus is your king? Interestingly enough, Paul gives us some really good idea how to do that in that same letter to Timothy just before the part we read. So he's writing this advice to Timothy and he gets to the end of the letter and we read what he said at the end, but this is what he said just before the end of the letter. And I think it's a really good uh, instruction for you and I how to Jesus, for Jesus to be our king. He said, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, a man that worships God, serves God, treats God as king. He's going to use very forceful verbs to describe what a follower of the king would do. I think there's four of them. So, since you want to worship him as king, you're a man of God, Run from all these evil things that he talks about in the letter. Do you and I run from the evil things? This series I'm going to start on New Year's Day. We're going to talk about, one of the things we're going to talk about is running from evil things. Or do we just kind of turn our back on it? Or we kind of slowly walk away from evil things? God says a man that truly wants to worship me can declaring me as king, runs from evil things. Secondly, he pursues, so you run away from one thing, but you run towards something else, right? What do you run toward? Righteousness and a godly life. And he gives us some some words to describe a godly life. A, a, A life of faith, of trust, belief. You and I worry sometimes, right? As soon as I start worrying, I've stopped trusting. So, man, if you're king, God, I don't have to worry. <laughs> you're king of all kings. Love. A love like Jesus' love. A sac- self-sacrificing love. Perseverance. Don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Especially in the difficult times. And then I love the word gentleness. In the midst of pursuing and and running, we're here to be gentle. Ah, next word. Fight. Fight the good fight for true faith. Christian life is not (laughs) just relax. It's work. It's a fight. I got to thinking about this illustration and thing came to mind for me as an Olympic athlete. You ever read about or listen to an Olympic athlete? Often they're teenagers or young adults, right? And their lives are completely different from other people their age. They get up early. They have a restricted diet. 
a, a, a strict regiment of exercise. They don't go out partying and drinking and, and doing all the, and they might even be dating like all, most of the other people their age, right? Because they have their eyes set on a specific goal to compete in whatever competition they have. Are we like the Olympic athlete? Are we fighting the good fight of faith? That we're willing to sacrifice what other normal things or other things that people do so we can make him king of our lives. And then lastly, hold tightly. Not just hold it, not just grasp, but hold it as tightly as you can. Hold what? The eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared as well before many witnesses. And we are to declare our faith to be witnesses. And then just two more verses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony for Pontius Pilate, it was his defense, that you, here it is for us, obey this command without wavering. Do you and I obey without wavering? Wow, I wish I could say I did. But if Jesus is my king, I obey. You obey the king, you obey the boss without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you. Can that be said of you? Can it be said of me? No fault. Above reproach, if they're going to say something bad about us, they've got to lie about us. Until Jesus Christ comes again. So I got thinking of the team concept. Sometimes we talk about Christianity being a family. I like the team concept. So I put in your outline, how would other believers rank your contribution to Christ's team? See, Christianity is not a spectator sport. As much as I appreciate the fact that we can be online, it's easy to become a spectator sport, so you're going to call it that, Christianity. How would people rate it? I've played team sports. Most of you probably have. The thing I hated most was doing what? Sitting on the bench. Now, I didn't mind so much this past year because I'm the oldest and probably the worst player on the team. So if they let other players play, that was fine. But when I was a more competent player, um, I hated sitting on the sidelines. Do you hate sitting on the sidelines of Christianity? And we talk about Jesus as king. There's kings like Herod. But Jesus isn't a king like Herod. My king, your king, if you're Jesus' follower. If you're not, I'd like to describe you as my king. My king was willing to sacrifice an only son. Have him leave his side in heaven and come to earth. Deal with all the garbage here. Resist the temptations of Satan. And eventually surrender yourself to God's will and die for my sin and yours. Didn't stay in the grave, though. He conquered sins by raising from the dead so that I can have a personal relationship with Almighty God. Even while the Bible says, while we were yesterday, I had no interest in this. Jesus still did it. And we talked about he's that lamb. He's willing to sacrifice himself for my sin unjustly. 
And we talked about him being the high priest. Even now, he's making intercession for me. And, and God can look on me and can look on you, even though we're sinful, because of what Jesus did for us. I don't know. I kind of think that's a king worth, worth worshiping, don't you? A king worth serving. So my assignment for you is kind of do business with God. <laughs> Figure out where you are. Are you posing right now? Has God got something He wants you to do and you're not saying no like I did? He says He's got the best plan. So any other plan is going to be what? Less than best. And you may not understand it like I did in at 17, but that was the best plan for my life. Or you just kind of, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven when I die. And I'm a busy person. I've got lots that I'm doing, so God, you, you know, you and I are good, so I'll just kind of do my thing and you know, just dismiss it. Are you truly worshiping? Are you declaring, you're my king, you're my boss, you're my Lord? Let's do business with God this week. Let me pray with you. Oh, Father God, we cannot even comprehend your love for us. And we can talk about it, and you demonstrated it. But in reality, while we were yet sinners, yet we turned our back on us, had no interest in you, you still did the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so when I even think about kind of ignoring you or dismissing you, how can I do that? Kind of a slap in your face after you showed such love for me. Why would I not seek your plan? Why would I not obey? And, and God, I pray for anyone that's not a, a Jesus follower. It's never stepped across that line. Hopefully not opposed. Maybe they're just dismissing you. Today would be the end of that. If you, God, would do that for me, I can no longer ignore it. I must surrender my will to yours. I accept your gift, your most gracious gift of salvation, eternal life. I confess, repent of my sins and accept it. Accept it into your family, accept it into your team. For most of us, we're Jesus followers, some of us are a long time. And I think at times we ride that roller coaster, hopefully not opposing you, but kind of wanting to do our own thing. I pray today that today it would be a daily commitment that we would bow our knee to you, God. Your will, not mine, be done. For your glory we ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.